guys, welcome to the More Than Mom podcast. I'm your host, MJ Cash, and your new mom BFF. And guess what? You get me without any awkward playground small talk. On this podcast, we'll be covering everything we possibly can to help you thrive in all of your roles, not just as mother, but as wife, woman, and individual with your own passions and dreams. I hope that you'll choose to continue along this journey with us as we all begin to figure out how to become more than mom. We're gonna have a good day, hey, we're gonna have a great day, yeah, yeah, we're gonna have a good day, hey, hey, we're gonna have a great day, yeah, I'm just here, guys, to let you know that we're gonna have a great day today. You wanna know why we're gonna have a great day? Because we're gonna make the choice, too, and it's gonna be wonderful, and it's gonna be amazing, and I hope that if at any point today you were having a bad day and then you turn this on, that I made you smile at least a little bit. Today... I am talking to a friend of mine that I made over Instagram. We've been hitting each other up in the DMs, just kind of getting to know each other, getting to know each other's families, and just bonding over it. She found the More Than Mom podcast and my Instagram page and has chosen to connect with me through it. And I love it, guys. This This is why you should send me messages. It's fun. We get to make great real relationships, and this one... Uh, ended up moving to Skype and then moving to the podcast. So this is my friend Katie Anderson. We are talking about a really, really interesting, important subject today where she's going to be talking about navigating special needs as a mom. So navigating just the whole journey. She's going to talk about navigating the whole journey as a mom with a child that has different learning needs. So it's going to be incredible. She's specifically talking about a condition called sensory processing disorder, which is actually a pretty common condition. So uh, I think it's gonna be really interesting for you guys. She has some great perspectives. She's a peer mom and don't we love listening to our peer moms? She, um, We've had some really, really good ones on the podcast, guys, and they always bring a little something to the podcast that you can walk away and and just take with you into your own role of parenting. So that's it, guys. That's all I got for you today. We're still in COVID-19. There's not a whole lot to talk about. We're still locked in our houses. We're still not seeing people. Um, Yeah, that's about all I got. But if you don't already follow along on Instagram, you definitely should at Mrs. MJ Cash. And if you listen to this podcast but have never written it a review, let's make this week your week to do that. That would be really cool. We would just love it. And to be honest with you, I don't like people. That's not that's not nice. That's I like I like everyone. I don't like it when people force good reviews. So just write an honest review. I'd love to hear your feedback. And when I hear feedback, I can make the show better. Except can I tell you this? The best place to leave negative feedback is in my Instagram DMs. (laughs) Is that fair to say? I think it's fair to say. I read those and I can make changes and everybody in the world doesn't have to read them too. But anyways, I love you guys. Sincerely, I do. I love this community. I love um, being able to lean on and support each other through just this insane time in the world's history. And let's have a great day. Here's Katie Anderson.
Okay. Welcome everyone to the More Than Mom podcast. Today I am sitting down with Katie Anderson. She's up in New York, I believe, uh, like Long Island area. Is that where you're at? Mm -hmm. You used to be upstate. Now you're a Long Island area. Is that correct? Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. I I wanted to nail that. Um, (laughs) Katie and I met over Instagram and um, we've just kind of developed a relationship through the messaging app um, or through the messaging, the DMs on Instagram and just kind of getting to know each other a little bit. And um, during this crazy time of isolation with COVID-19, Katie reached out and said, listen, I have definitely some um, different viewpoints I can bring to to moms out there and just being a mom yourself to three kids and uh, being in a happy relationship and marriage and running, um, working from home a lot, I know, and also writing and doing all sorts of stuff. Um, she has a lot of great perspective to bring. So we got to chatting over Skype one day and, um, really just found a topic that I think is going to reach at everyone's hearts and, um, hopefully open up a lot of discussion around this matter is my hope. So, um, Katie, can you give us a little bit about your background and just who you are and where you're from and all that stuff? Sure. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. I love the More Than Mom podcast. And when we connected and were kind of bonding over the kids and pictures on Instagram and some of the podcasts, I was really excited about this opportunity because I think it's awesome that that you have this outreach for moms. And I've learned so much from hearing the perspective of the moms that you've interviewed and it's just it's really exciting to to connect in this way so I have three children Maggie Owen and Nora um, Eric and I my husband Eric have been married for 14 years and we live in Shoreham New York it's a small town on the north shore of Long Island we're lucky enough to have our families nearby that wasn't something that We always had, um, my parents live 10 minutes down the road and Eric's parents live about 30 minutes away. And we have a big extended family. I'm the oldest of eight and uh, have lots of cousins and aunts and uncles, um, some of whom are still nearby. And Eric has a sister, my kids have two cousins. So we're really blessed and um, thankful to be raising our kids here after um, about a decade of pioneering on our own. And so uh, (laughs) that, that time together was a good foundation. We definitely, had our fair share of struggles and and our fair share of joys figuring out this parenthood thing on our own. But um, to be able to outsource a little bit <laughs> to the grandparents and to be able to just uh, multiply that joy with the family around all the time has been awesome. Uh, it's not awesome right now to have the <laughs> yeah. distance, but we still find ways to connect, whether it's six feet apart outside or just little drop-offs of goodies. So uh, I work from home. I, I write for a marketing agency, a couple of them. And um, I also, in my spare time, um, <laughs> an associate broker uh, and sell some real estate, mostly to just friends and family. And uh, my main my main love, aside from the family and the kids, is communications and being able to 
deliver messaging in a way that really meets people where they're at. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, we were talking the other day when we were talking on Skype and it's just, we also have family close by. We rely on them a lot for sanity. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, this is interesting. Although we have talked about both of our sets of kids are handling this surprisingly well. I feel like um, we have our days and we have our moments throughout the days, but I feel like overall my kids have made this fairly easy on me, which has been great. But yeah, I miss, I miss being able to go over to my parents' house or my husband's parents' house and have, you know, a few extra hands helping me entertain and corral and feed and do all the things. (laughs) There's so much feeding happening right now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, I feel like that's our new hobby. Lots of pots and pans. And uh, <laughs> today I posted a picture of the dishwasher. I opened it so thankful that they loaded it themselves. Awesome job, kids. Uh, but on top were just plates stacked. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> we win some, you lose some. <laughs> yeah, that needs to be part of the homeschool curriculum now. Uh exactly. How to how to properly load a dishwasher. (laughs) So part of what you do as well, you were telling me, is that you um hold a position on your guys' local school board. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, I serve as a trustee on our public school board. Um, I've been the vice president for a year now and a trustee for two years prior to that. It's a great opportunity for me to kind of fill my civic duty a bit and um, to give back to our wonderful community. And it's something that I was passionate about pursuing kind of as a result of navigating through the system with my kids and wanting to be an advocate for um, each and every one of our students. That's awesome. Is it strange right now with everyone being out of school? Like, (laughs) do do y'all have a... (laughs) as a school board are y'all having to be like in discussions about that so we've been holding our public session meetings virtually and that has definitely been uh interesting (laughs) to uh connect in that way versus at the school but um really the hardest part has been our empty buildings we have uh, such a vibrant community and our teachers are incredible our administrators are incredible Um, the staff down to the security guards and the people at the front desk from the moment you enter our buildings our kids are greeted with such warmth and beautiful smiles and uh, because it's a small community a lot of the kids are known by name and to not have that as a part of their daily routine and their day-to-day is certainly a huge loss but um, with that trying to continue that connection and continue that close feel as much as possible virtually and our administrators are doing a fantastic job still in the buildings the empty buildings unfortunately trying trying to um, connect us all and our teachers have reached out to each of our kids and you know it's it's um it's not the ideal way to educate but um but it's certainly, you know, doing, doing the best we can. Yeah, that's awesome. I know I have a, a several friends who are teachers and it has been really heartwarming to see the way that teachers are going, getting as creative as they can and going above and beyond to 
still stay connected with their students. And I know that, you know, the students miss the teachers is just as much as the, the teachers miss the students. And this is so such strange territory for all of us to navigate. <laughs> but the school systems, from my view, at least, without having any kids in a school system, but just seeing it from an outsider's point of view is, um, is doing a really good job handling it. So that's, that's awesome. Um, I know it cannot be clear or easy on how to, how to deal with that right now. The tricky thing is too, that, um, you know, homeschooling is a fantastic option for some parents. There are ways to provide an outstanding curriculum. Uh, I was actually homeschooled for um, part of my education and it was a great experience for my family, but this we've all been thrust into and it's not the, the experience in uh, this within the school building is not easily duplicated virtually, first of all. And then second of all, most of us are all, are all still working and juggling at home. And we have some first responders who are um, not able to be, be home. And so it's quite a challenge. Yeah. I can't imagine we're, we're discussing homeschooling, for like elementary ages. And with that, you know, our son's not quite there yet, but I have been accumulating for the last several years, right? you know, different learning systems at home, like little games and little, um, you know, art supplies and all these things that can accommodate a homeschool environment. And I can't imagine not having any of that prepared in our home. Um, because it wasn't ever on our radar. And then all of a sudden, you know, one day your kid's at school and the next day they're home and mm-hmm. you're in charge of that. And like you said, parents are still working. So the time is not really there to accommodate it. They don't have, most of them probably don't have anything at home to accommodate, you know, a schooling environment, not to mention just like the lack of preparation because they didn't know this was coming. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I can't imagine, and I know that one of the blessings I count through this whole thing is that my kids aren't officially school age, so there's there's just no pressure on that for me, which is I'm just grateful for because that, I know I have some friends that are that are um, teaching their elementary school kids right now, or yeah, and they're just they're very concerned that they're gonna send them back to school next year and they're gonna be way behind because they're like I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know. That time can come soon enough. I love, I love my kids. It's been real fun to have them around because working from home and being in a, in an empty house all day um, without any sort of colleagues, I might start talking to my plants. My dog is my biggest companion, but it's been fun. It's been a juggle. It's been challenging, but, um, but it's been fun to have them to, to be around they certainly are just used to getting up and going. And, and so this is, this is a huge uh, change and for, for, for everyone. So yeah, for sure. So as a, as a mom and as a mom who works full time from home, what moves you to get involved within your guys' local school, school board? A few years ago, I uh, noticed that my son needed some additional assistance kind of navigating through the public school system uh, at his optimal level. And um, when I became more involved in advocating for him, I began to see just how many options there are, how many options there 
may may not be and how as an advocate as a parent you really are the only voice that your your child has um, initially there are so many resources and there are so many people who are at the ready to help but when that process begins it can be really tricky and so i i met so many people who were involved and were a tremendous asset to our community. Some who have um, moved on, whether their kids are a little older now, some who are still involved. And I became so moved by their efforts and they became really influential to me and inspiring. So helping me navigate through that process, you know, I kind of wanted to pay it forward and, and give back and, and, and be a voice for not only my son and my other two children, but, but each and every child in the district. Yeah, that's amazing. I can definitely see where that calling would kind of stem from realizing that your son maybe had some extra needs that weren't being met uh, maybe as optimally as they could have been. And starting to navigate that process, I feel like any time that you're met with navigating a process that isn't uh, mainstream, mm-hmm. it's always surprising just how blind you are in that navigation. I remember this is not related at all, but I remember feeling that way when I was a high school athlete and wanting to get a scholarship to go to college. And it's like, as soon as I had a scholarship, I looked back and I was like, oh, Oh, that's how it works. I could do it like that now. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> going through it, it was so confusing and it was so complicated. I made a million missteps and wasn't focused on the right things for a long time. And it was like, if you just can look, you know, if you can just get through it and look back, then it's like so clear. Mm-hmm. But it takes someone like you who's gone through it to then put themselves in a position to help others. So that's, <laughs> that's amazing. So what kind of things were you seeing with your son then when you first kind of noticed some things that maybe we just didn't seem quote unquote normal to you? So when from a very early age, I would say probably around four or five, we noticed that he would be easily overwhelmed in an environment that was typically outside of our home crowded, uh, different from what he was used to, and that it would trigger a response in him that started to happen over and over again at school. So where at a young age, it became manageable, we can kind of step in, we can, you know, help him through whatever. When he was younger, we would, we would be able to go, whether it was to go to church, where uh, that was preceded by getting dressed in less than comfy clothes, um, putting on shoes that weren't cracks, and um, then going to a crowded place and having to sit still. We, we noticed that things like that were a lot more challenging for him than they were for our daughter and our, our older one. And, and in those circumstances, we felt like this is just either typical boy behavior or perhaps you know this is just he's not he's not happy here he's not comfortable he'd rather be home and that's understandable he's a homebody you know so we we kind of chalk off a lot of behaviors that we saw to, to just who he was and um once he started to go to school certain behaviors that might be quote unquote typical child behaviors started to become unmanageable. We were getting calls almost on the daily about less than optimal behavior. So we realized that 
he needed some extra tools to, to manage his behavior at school, to perform at an optimal level academically. And so um, that's when we began to explore what, what the root of this was. I talked to with his teachers. We thought maybe maybe it's ADHD. Maybe it's it, it could possibly be autism. He could be on the spectrum. We we started with our pediatrician. We would read as many books on you know different disorders that that might exhibit them itself themselves in this way. And ultimately, I came across what's called sensory processing disorder. And he sort of had like just about every classic symptom of it. Why did that stand out to you? And what is that? So sensory processing disorder, it's also known as sensory integration dysfunction. It's actually an extremely common condition that we learned affects as many as uh, one in 20 people. And so we learned that it was something that an occupational therapist identified um, pretty recently, relatively recently in 1972. It was an educational psychologist named Anna Ayres, and she she identified it as sensory integration as a neurological process where we organize sensation from our body and from the environment. And it's actually what makes it possible for us to use our body effectively within the environment. And um, some of the key kind of things to look for, the need to touch everything that is within, within his environment, anywhere nearby, anything he can get his hands on, whether it's our faces, our, our hair, um, a, a plant that he's passing, every single thing in the store that he's passing, um, <laughs> the strong impulse to either have sensory input. One of the ways that he loved to fall asleep, and he still does this a little bit, from the time he was a baby, he would love to slam his head on the pillow. And I thought it was really cute. And it was pretty aggressive too, it was like over and over and over. And that was grounding and relaxing for him. And that some parts of the environment, if he smelled something great, he would get so excited. If he smelled something that wasn't so great for him, it would, be so distasteful and so frustrating for him if it, there was a taste that that he didn't like we just had to get the the food out of the room otherwise it would become it would escalate into a bigger problem he would loud sounds he sometimes loved he would love if he had a favorite song come on the radio he would want me to blast it and if he had heard a sound that what, that he didn't like or was frightening to him, it, it could turn into just a, a terribly upset moment for him. So every part of his sensory processing just seemed to be heightened. And he ended up a lot of times seeking sensory input. And um, there's also a way that this manifests where some kids will um, be really adverse to to any sort of input. And so we noticed he had a little bit of both, more so the input side. And we real we started to realize that there were things that we did day to day, kind of intuitively, kind of just like out of sheer need and uh, survival mode that we didn't, it wasn't until we took an inventory of that, 
that we recognized how, how many accommodations that we were making at home for Owen that other adults, like in a school environment, wouldn't necessarily know to make. And, you know, rightfully so. So once we took that inventory and we're really honest with ourselves about how many times a day we would squeeze his hands or give him a big tight hug or ask him to carry something heavy so that, you know, he could feel like he's helping and how we, if we were, knew we were going to be in a crowded place, how we, one of us would kind of walk with him separate. I mean, there were just so many things that, that we did day to day that would help him get through the day peacefully. And so many things that he did intuitively too, that he was free to do in his own home environment, like swing on the swings or, or lay on the floor. And he loved listening on, on a wood floor to the sound of um, the wheels on a car, you know, just the way it would feel the vibrations in the wood and the sound. And he would just do that over and over and over again. So little things like that, some big things, but, um, but for the most part, he was just a happy, peaceful guy when, when everything was in sync for him. So once we started getting calls on a daily basis at, at one point in first grade about um, negative things that would happen at school. And so I sounded a bit like one of those parents who was in denial saying that doesn't sound like my child or, oh, not my precious, not my precious <laughs> Owen, no way. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about, but I, I had such empathy for parents in those moments who were quote unquote in denial, because the fact of the matter is so many of the things that were happening at school, we didn't see at home. And it was because Owen had developed so many strategies intuitively to just regulate his emotions and regulate his environment. And at school, when he had to conform to um, certain routine and schedule and different environments that, that he felt uncomfortable in, he wasn't able to, to kind of combat the, that overload with all the same tools in his, in his toolbox. So I can imagine, sorry, I can imagine as you're walking through this, one thing I have been learning as a mom over the last two years with Beckett is that Beckett is so intelligent. Mm -hmm. So when his, when his emotions overwhelm him to the point where his, his toddlerness comes out and he becomes Mm -hmm. irrational, it's hard for me to um, parent it calmly because I'm like, but you're, too smart for this. Like in my head, I'm like, you know, better, you know, better because I know him every other time of day when he's not in like code red in his brain and something (laughs) just, you know, goes crazy. And imagining, you know, your son with such a heightened sense, how quickly something could go from totally fine to being in like a code red and how hard that is to manage for especially young kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see it, I see it in my son all the time, just again, like in day-to-day things that might set him off or that he's just like overtired or whatever happens. And he reaches that point and it's not even rat. It's not, it's not his rational brain anymore. It's when mm-hmm. emotion overwhelms him. 
I'm picturing now a little kid who doesn't understand that and it's heightened and it's, it can be triggered much more often and it can be triggered by things that we wouldn't recognize as grownups. Hmm. And I can imagine how challenging that would have been to navigate for you guys to kind of figure out what the source was and what the solution was. Especially when for a child who is only, you know, four, five, six years old, the negative behavior and having having those code red moments from time to time is really not behaviorally inappropriate. So to to go from this is just a kid being a kid to um, maybe there's something more here, it's kind of a big step. It's it's a step that feels scary because at the end of it, you kind of get this sense of there's going to possibly be a label here. There's going to possibly be um, a diagnosis or um, news that I, I don't want to hear, you know? And the one, the one day that I remember very specifically knowing that it was time to do something was when his teacher called and said that she couldn't find Owen for, for about 20 minutes. And so Owen had told her that, that she, he was needing to go to the bathroom. I believe that he went to the bathroom, but what he didn't do and where he wasn't completely honest was, was returned to the class. And he was found in a, um, in a corner of the library where he was hiding with a book. And this behavior that gets celebrated at home, reading quietly, was admonished at school. And rightfully so, he was not where he needed to be. He did not communicate that he was going to go to the library. But this little six-year-old was um, recognizing what he needed at that time. And he was self-regulating. Mm -hmm. And so realizing that I needed to be there for him, even though I wasn't able to be physically in that, in that space, I needed to be his voice to get him what he needed for the times where he wasn't going to be able to vocalize that. We also noticed that his grades were really suffering. He was such a capable kid. He had this ability to tell an intricate story. He had the ability to sit still and listen to anything that he was interested in, but he was getting in his own way a bit when it came to being able to get grades that would be reflective of what should have been on grade level. And so once we saw the behavior turn out to be much less than optimal, and when his grades were just not on grade level, that was when we started down the special education sort of pathway. That was when we realized that that, that was the path we needed to take. So navigating what that looks like when his grades weren't plummeting, when he, he still was doing you know somewhat okay, was, was a difficult process. I began going to the Special Education Parent Teacher Association called SEPTA. It's a national organization. Most schools have a chapter in their district. And I began to talk to parents 
with children with special needs. And that's where I really felt like I found my niche. I felt like parents who have kids who don't fit in the box, who are outside of the box, it, it just was so comforting to me to hear their perspective, to learn from their journey, to uh, be able to ask, what should I do next? And I felt like I was taken under the wing of the president of that organization. She not only helped me figure out next steps, but she also went so far as to get a speaker in to talk about sensory processing for a um, faculty meeting so that the, the teachers in the building could become more well-versed in what that, what that meant and, and what tools to use for kids who, who may have it. Once I realized too that that it did affect sometimes one in 20 people, uh, then I realized that this is something that I don't need to just advocate for, for Owen with. I want everybody to know about it. I, I want the gym teacher, not just the, not just the classroom teacher, the, the art teacher, the music teacher, especially, you know, to when, when there's a small space and a lot of noises and a lot of um, people, there are certain things that they now do to, to help with kids who might not want to be so close to one another or or maybe don't want the symbols <laughs> you know maybe yeah, yeah. don't want those in their ears so anyway our next steps were to seek out a diagnosis and the diagnosis felt like in a way the wrong way to go because i didn't want to put a label on my child i ultimately felt like you know this isn't this is a learning difference this is not a learning disability this is a superpower by which he's able to navigate through his environment at a heightened level where he notices things and he is so intuitive too about like even people's emotions and the world around him the way he sees it is beautiful and i i didn't it, it was hard to take in that label of sensory processing disorder but once I realized the connection between a quote unquote label and services, then that's when I felt like there were endless opportunities to help him navigate and, and take on um, his educational experience uh, with. And so those opportunities were opened up as a result of learning a little bit more about this that came as a result of, of getting that diagnosis. And even just figuring out how to go about getting a diagnosis, having him evaluated first, we didn't want to assume, you know, we're not medical doctors. My husband and I um, just read up a little bit about it and were able to kind of put a lot of pieces together. But we took him to a, um, an occupational therapist and we filled out sort of a questionnaire. There was an evaluation that was done. And with his pediatrician and this occupational therapist, in addition to the school psychologist and an occupational therapist at the school and a special education evaluation, we were ultimately able to first get Owen a 504 plan, which was kind of the key to him getting special services at school. And then we transitioned into an IEP that then translated into the most optimal setting for him, which was a special education, general education, integrated classroom setting where he has two teachers. 
full-time in our district is how it's run. And the students um, have an awesome opportunity to be able to work together where everyone is kind of met where they're at. And that's able to be done at such a higher level with that special education teacher in the room. That setting for him was the game changer. The, the teachers that he have, has had have been so integral to his success. He has been able to uh, really employ a growth mindset where if he's feeling like he's not so great at something that he's just not so great at it yet, Owen's been able to really develop a plan in conjunction with his teachers, in conjunction with the special education committee to navigate his way to, to success. And so we're looking at a process of possibly continuing that for him next year. And I think that ultimately he's going to phase out of the special education department and then be able to just go through a general education, middle school and high school experience because of how many tools he's been able to to have at his disposal, and then uh, how many strategies he's been able to to develop. That's super cool. That's amazing, and it's amazing that your school district has been so accommodating to it. I I mean I only know what I knew from being in general classes, going through my personal school system as a kid. So I don't know what all the different facets were, um, and all the different layers of special education that they could have had at the school, but. I don't feel like I knew about an integrative program, at least, if they had one. So I just think that's really, really cool that they do, and they were able to accommodate that. You're, you're just going through everyone that had to get involved just to get a diagnosis and to get the help that he needed, and it's amazing. <laughs> like, it's no wonder that people face challenges in that process, because you just named, like, eight people that had to be there <laughs> to, to get a single kid what he needs just to thrive in his everyday life, which is insane. Um, <laughs> it's crazy to me. But one thing I would love to talk about, the other day when we were talking, you mentioned this idea of fair versus equal. Mm-hmm. And I think this is really, um, I think this really applies to kids within a classroom setting and with other peers of friends. But I think it also applies to any family that has more than one child. Mm, I know I experienced this with just my own two kids and some of their needs are different based on age, based on triggers, based on different things. And understanding this fair versus equal approach and giving yourself grace in that and and giving yourself some leniency in that so you you brought that up the other day and I thought it was you said uh, someone else had kind of taught it to you and I thought it was very I just thought it was brilliant so can you share that a little bit sure the the president of SEPTA um, our former president of that organization was the person who introduced that concept to me and the way she put it anyway was that everyone deserves a fair, a fair shot. You know, everyone deserves to to be treated with fairness, but that doesn't always look like the exact same thing for each and every person. So what is fair is not necessarily equal and um, an equal opportunity 
for some students that is fair is often going to look different. And so that helped it all kind of click for me. I, I found myself comparing the older one to the younger one with my kids um, a little bit too often. And it was with the best of intentions because, you know, that that was all you, we knew, you know, the, the way that the older one was. And I mean, she was a god awful sleeper. She had GERD and, and was so colicky and <laughs> we never got great sleep and she had her own needs. But, um, but for the most part, when it came to being compliant, being a rule follower, being a kind of more of the inside the box student, those firstborns, man. <laughs> yeah. Mine is awesome too. <laughs> that was um, that was our experience, and and then here comes number two, and it was a phenomenal pregnancy in total contrast. The best sleeper in the world, such an easy baby, but just you know a little bit more high energy, and he liked things his certain way. And they often didn't fit inside the box that that we kind of built for Maggie, you know, in our family. So we we became used to that that mindset of of everybody is going. It's not one size fits all in parenting. And when it came to school that that became really clear too. It, it can't be one size fits all for each student to achieve their greatest potential. Yeah, that's amazing. I think that's something that the school system will probably always be striving for and never be able to attain perfection in by any means. It's too vast and it's too huge and there's too many individuals to serve. But I know that just a few months ago before we weren't allowed to see each other, uh, my brother and I were talking about this because he was um, a student who barely got by. He barely got by. He worked hard and barely got by. And I barely worked at all and got all A's. And that was just like how I operated. And that was how he operated within the school system. But fast forward to now when, you know, we're, averaging around 30 and he is incredibly more intelligent than I am in so many things mm. like he can build he can build a computer from scratch and I if I had to build 30 computers I would be following the steps step-by-step instructions on every single one of them because it just never clicks into place in my head as to what I'm doing and we were reflecting on the fact that for some kids in a school system, it's just, it's really hard to accommodate all the different learning styles, all the different needs, all the different personality types. Everyone has a very large amount of um, topics that need to get covered, that need to get taught, and not all of them are going to be of interest to you. So it was like once my brother was able to zone in on the things that he was actually passionate about, he excelled with flying mm -hmm. colors, but in the meantime, it took, unfortunately in his scenario, it took years of him thinking he wasn't smart because mm -hmm. that was the, you know, all the proof around him and his grades and all this stuff, rather than realizing I just need to find my thing. Like I just need to find mm -hmm. my niche. Maybe, maybe the way that the teachers are teaching the class of 30 isn't how 
me as an individual learns well or whatever it is. And I think it's amazing you being on the school board and, and, and trying to create a system that addresses individual needs more and just continuing to like heighten that bar of, of figuring out how we can pull the best out of every student mm. because it's a, that's a, it's a daunting task when there's, you know, 2000 people at a school. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's about the number that we have, uh, actually, 2,000 in our district, uh, a little bit over. And uh, one of the my favorite things about our district is that our mission is very whole child education based. And so we may not always get it right. We may need to refine certain things, but the willingness is there and the, the mindset of each and every student has a their own unique uh, ways of needing to be served in emotionally, socially, physically, mentally, and spiritually. And that that whole integration and meeting each student where they're at and looking for ways to sort of bring out the best and their greatest potential is is really at the heart of of our mission and that's something that that i can get behind and so for for owen um what ended up happening sort of the beautiful outcome of all of this has been that in seeking out the additional resources that he needed the extra support that he was given ended up resulting in some really awesome time with our school psychologist, some really awesome time with an occupational therapist. And he developed all of these strategies that ended up serving him day to day and have positioned him at a greater level to, to achieve his greatest potential than he would have been if he kind of fit in the box. So yeah. all these all these extra tools, he's just been able to become come out of it stronger. Being able to have the opportunity to build these extra muscles, to build this uh, these tools and strategies, it's positioned him to excel at a higher rate than he would have been able to if he ultimately just fit inside the box. So um, we've we've just watched him grow. We're so proud of his maturity. Um, we're so proud of, of his efforts. School is not something that elicits tears anymore. He, he enjoys school. He feels like it's an environment that he's comfortable in. He's getting great grades. And really, more importantly than that, he feels confident. He feels like he's able to socialize and have a lot of friends and be able to succeed where the sensory processing uh, dysfunction sorts, uh, sort of serves him as like a superpower, essentially. One story that my husband and I tell often about Owen is we were at a cider house one time and there was, I was taking Owen to the bathroom. We came back from the bathroom and outside really high up on, on the wall, close to the ceiling was a display of clocks. And Owen, his, his little, you know, three foot self looked up and he said, he said, mom, why, why are there 23 clocks on that wall? 
And I looked up and I kind of had to use my finger and, <laughs> sword and count. And I realized, hey, bud, there, there are 23 clocks on that wall. That's kind of silly. And uh, how'd you know that? And he said, I just counted them. And in the moment that we went to the bathroom, came back from the bathroom, I mean, it was just, it was a glance. Yeah. That in that glance, he was able to, to kind of just notice that there were 23 clocks. That story reminds us that, that the lens that he uses to see the world is just a little bit different, but also pretty cool and certainly provides him with an opportunity that the average person doesn't have. So we're kind of at this point where we're now trying to harness his capability instead of doing like a little bit of that uh, survival mode. Uh, how yeah. can we, how can we mitigate? How can we, you know, now that he has these strategies where he is comfortable and he's not kind of getting in his own way, he's, he's able to excel. And, and we noticed too, that a lot of the triggers, like the things that he wears, the things that, you know, loud sounds or uh, big groups of people, he's able to self-regulate at an astounding rate, but things don't tend to bother him as much anymore. It's, it's more that he's, he's kind of at his best, you know, peaceful state. Yeah, that's amazing. That's super beautiful. I love it. I'm not gonna lie, when you were talking earlier about Owen laying on the ground and like listening to the sound of the cars on the floor, I was like, I want to get inside his head. That sounds so relaxing. Like that just sounds <laughs> that sounds so nice to just like lay there and just hear it. I don't feel like I don't feel like we do a good job of that, of mm-hmm. actually noticing our our surroundings. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about today that you hit on perfectly is just how to address this with our children. Because I know, you know, as of right now, I don't think we have any kids that have a condition that is going to like really inhibit their ability to thrive. But I told you before, we, there's certainly a chance that Beckett has a degree of this because we have gone through this um, research with him about here's all the things that trigger him, what could it possibly be? And we landed on sensory processing. But before we ever got to the point of investigating that, he kind of phased out of most of it. And it was really, really heightened when he was like two. Um, couldn't do sand, couldn't do tags and shirts, could not <laughs> cannot do heat can't he couldn't do smells his his was definitely like avoidance (laughs) (laughs) but I remember in that time when we were figuring out this this is a little extreme or this is a little odd what could it be here you know we talked about maybe he's autistic but it didn't it just didn't line up with many of his other traits that he had that were like very dominant traits that he had just didn't line up with the, the spectrum And we're figuring it out. I remember talking to my husband about it and just kind of working through it internally of like, what, what is going to be my approach? Should he have some sort of needs that needs to get filled or diagnosed or any of that stuff? And I went through the same thing that you actually experienced in my head of like, are we going to go for a diagnosis? Are we going to put a label on him for the rest of his life? I don't know. Is that something I really want to do? I don't know. Then it was okay, well, how are we going to approach this with him? 
And immediately my thought was, well, every person that I know with any sort of special needs, whether it be people with ADHD or um, autism or Down syndrome or anything out there, they have abilities that the rest of us do not. And Mm -hmm. for any of those people who have parents that focus on their gifts in that and where they can excel in that, the impact that those people have and the success that those people have in their own lives and the impact on others and everything is just, it's, I mean, it's incredible. And I was like, immediately like, well, if Beck gets any of these things, like we're going to find, like, we know what his skills are and we're just going to like go all in with them, man. Like, we're just going to tear up his skills. And I just, I love that, that you have refrained, you know, you have framed this in your brain and for your family and for your community and for everyone that you're impacting and reaching with this, that it's so important to realize that this is not lack, for lack of a better term, this is not like a death sentence. This is not like, oh, your child is not going to be able to thrive. No, no, no. This is actually, let's find the ways that can serve our child the best and then watch him or her thrive like crazy with this incredibly beautiful skill set that none of the rest of us are are talented enough to have or, or gifted enough to have in this area. So I just want to commend you for that because I think a lot of parents hit those obstacles just as you guys did of being really scared of a diagnosis and what it could mean. Yeah, because it feels like you're a, a limiting thing. You know, it feels like a sentencing versus an opportunity. And once you let go of normal, then and realize, you know, it's okay that he's outside the box, then you realize, like, we were, we were able to realize just how uncomfortable he was feeling, and meet him where he was at. And so what the reality is, what's not normal is, is for us to, to treat every child the same exact way. And uh, <laughs> yes, that, so um, true. we all have a sensory threshold. We all have our own ability to, to cope. It's just for kids who struggle with this, it's, it's just at a different level. And so it's our job as parents to kind of, you know, meet them where they're at, to advocate for their needs, to, to educate ourselves, to, to surround ourselves with people who are going to become just an invaluable part of our support system and just understand and get it, you know, that, that is built into our survival for sure. Um, his ability to see the world, navigate through the world with a little bit heightened sense of, of being able to, to take things in and to notice things ultimately serves him well. It's just, it's a, it's a gift to see the world through his eyes. Owen is never more grounded and happy that when, than when he's at the beach. Uh, being able to move back home to Long Island has not only been awesome for the family time, but also being able to be only steps from the water has been a lot of fun for all of us, but, but Owen especially loves anything to do with 
marine biology, anything to do with um, with water and the sound of the waves, the, the feeling of the sand, the smell of the beach. It's just, it's his happy place. It's all, it's, it's my happy place too, but, um, but the ability to head down there on a regular basis has, has definitely played a huge role in, in just helping, helping us all to have better days. So He's, he's just got like he's got an awareness. That's what it, like he's exactly. just got an awareness about him that is far beyond his age, mm-hmm. and even far beyond um, many adults. I feel like a lot of times as you get older, your awareness actually goes down because <laughs> we, <get, laughs> we get so distracted with life and stuff. And hopefully, he'll always have the ability to just kind of absorb what's happening around him, which is super cool. I feel like I feel like actually. Right now with COVID-19, like we're getting, as adults, we are getting the lesson that Owen has been learning about for the last several years that he's been in these, you know, like these sessions is and figuring out how to cope with this. We're realizing, oh, we, we were not doing a good job of actually uh, taking in the little moments around us mm-hmm. and the time with our family. So I, I definitely I'm with you. I think it's an incredible blessing that he has. And it definitely comes with a learning curve of figuring out how to how to best direct his energy in that. But other than that, I think it's going to serve him very well. So that's cool. I've learned I've learned a ton from from this kid. He certainly has uh, has taught this mama more than I've taught him, I, I believe. And um, the same goes for each of my kids. We kind of go in thinking we have to be the expert and really what it comes down to over the years, my oldest is 13. Now, I I think that our greatest challenge is not to be the expert for them, but to be the expert of them. And the more that we can become good listeners and good learners of our children's needs, the more we'll be able to to help them reach their greatest potential. And so I needed to take a bit of a step back in in what I perceived to be my role in parenting and um, and to to be honest about about what I, in my own limitations, could provide. So I'm thankful for each of my kids having taught that lesson to me and I you know I'm excited about what's in store I think the hardest ages are the younger ones where you're at in the thick of it because goodness <laughs> enough moms have told me that I'm gonna miss this stage and I'm like listen it's not <laughs> <right now." laughs> I, mean, I miss so many things about about the baby stage for sure but um but I I just I really I really feel like it gets better and better because we become just um, more bonded. We have we have we have more inside jokes. We have we have more family stories. We have for, more family time to look back on and to be able to think like oh, we we definitely did not always get this right, but but look where look where we've come in spite of that, and look where we're at. And at the end of the day, you can't measure the love. So it's, uh, that's what you always get to take with you. I love it so much. Katie, seriously, thank you times a million for coming on. We talked a lot about sharing your son's story and making sure that it was going to be something that, that was comfortable for your family to be honest and open about. And I just, 
I so, so appreciate you and um, your whole family's willingness to talk about it because it's something that, you know, whether it's sensory processing or something else, it's something that affects so many households of Mm -hmm. just having kids that have special learning needs and special coping needs and need to learn how to navigate special strategies to help their kids thrive and uh, myself included. So I'm just, I'm just really, really grateful um, that you came on and gave this perspective of a mom who's gone through it for, for nine, nine years now. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for having me. I am so thankful to have the opportunity to spread a little bit of awareness about sensory processing disorder and to um, encourage anyone who might think that their child is struggling in this way to um, try to seek out the resources and, and help that will ultimately serve their child and their whole family in a beautiful way. There is tremendous power that can come from addressing a situation, identifying it, even naming it so that you can move forward. And ultimately challenges that that we face, um, they build grit, they build skill, they build muscle. We're, um, we, we're confident that that we're all the better for this. So I hope I was able to, to shed some light on on that sort of resurrection story, I guess, you know, tomorrow's Easter and, uh, and that's how it feels. It really feels like this is a a new life that, um, that we get, we get to live in this awareness of, of that struggle. I absolutely love it. Well, thank you again. And I look forward to just continuing to stay in touch with you and, and continuing to build this relationship and this friendship and just see where our families go over the years. Cause this is, this is the best part. This is the best part of more than mom and of Instagram and social media and all the things is being able to connect with a community like this, you know, over miles and miles and miles and miles and not letting distance stand in the way. So very cool, Katie. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for connecting us. 